I am so glad that we have a clapper in the church now. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. Um, thanks, Derek. It's good to be here. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, John chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to be. Uh, you can begin turning there. And uh, while you are, just a couple words of introduction. As Derek said, uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Brian McSwan. I get to uh, the privilege of serving as a lead pastor at Legacy Church up in Bellingham. Uh, we planted in, after several years of formation, uh, we planted through the Three Strand Network and through the North American Baptist in 2016, and uh, which I think is just a year before our roots was planted. And so Derek and I go back even probably a year or so before that and uh, one of the great, one of the great kindness of the Lord, one of the great gifts that God has given us is that he uh, does not leave us in, to walk with him in a broken world on our own. He gives us brothers and sisters in a local church that we're not left in isolation, but that we are covenanted together. We are uh, God, if God is our Father, we're brothers and sisters in Christ together, and there's a great gift in the local church where there's, where there's mutual encouragement, and teaching, and accountability, and prayer as you walk with one another in relationship. And also, one of the great kindness of the Lord is that He also does not leave churches to walk in isolation uh, apart from one another, but he gives us other like-minded churches that are rooted in the gospel together to build one another up and encourage one another and hold one another accountable and pray for one another. And just by a word of encouragement to you is that Legacy Church prays for you. Even this morning, they're praying for us as we uh, worship here, that they know of Roots Church, they know of the story. We, uh, if we were to, uh, if Derek, you know, comes and preaches at Legacy Church, people know who Derek Feckus is, and they know of the work that God is doing here, and because they're praying for you and connected to you in a special way. And so, uh, also, Derek's been a good encouragement to me. There was one specific blog post that he posted, and I hope you didn't miss it. In the midst of all this pandemic craziness. It was entitled, A Call to Reasonableness. It was written as a, with a shepherd's heart for you. It benefited our church and others as it was a call to take our eyes off of the relational circumstances and all the political dynamics and a call to once again live under the supremacy of Christ in every area of our life and, and bring us back to uh, bring us back to God and his word. Uh, also, uh, Derek and I don't have a lot of common interests. Um, I don't really know what birding is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but there, one of the great gifts is that God has given us a common like love for one another, a love for the gospel, a love for God's word. And this morning, I know you're taking a break from Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in, uh, in John this morning. And I am hoping that you are 
encouraged and built up in the gospel this morning. And so as we uh, read, we're going to be John chapter 5, verses 1 through verse 18. And uh, we're going to read the text together, and then we're going to focus in on one question, which is the main point of the text. And I'm hoping that as we do so and trusting that it is God in his word that will strengthen and encourage you because every week as we gather, uh, we don't need to hear from a man. We need to hear from the Lord. And so we humbly uh, read God's word and receive God's word with his authority, knowing that just as this was written by the apostle John, it's breathed out and inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning it's God's word delivered and preserved. And then it's that same Holy Spirit that knows you. He knows your life circumstance. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows the emotions and the thoughts and the story that he's writing in your life and in this church. And that same Holy Spirit takes that word and then presses it into your heart and applies it to your heart today. So let's read together and then we'll pray and then we'll get to work. Uh, John chapter 5 verse 1, follow along with me. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to them, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, 
we ask that even right now that you would be present with us and your spirit would move among us in a special way that you, as you speak to us. Lord, the question that you asked this man about his desire to be healed, Lord, would it be a question that causes us to press more deeply into who you are and what you're doing in this world and even what you're doing in your activity in our own lives? As we consider you this morning, would we ultimately see you, Jesus, as more believable? And would we treasure you as more beautiful? that our affections for you would grow and it would result in a greater response as you do a deep work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, One of my joys, uh, privileges, besides being a pastor, is I get to serve as a first responder on the Mount Baker Ski Patrol. Hopefully, if you come skiing up at Mount Baker at some point, we don't meet in that context. Uh, It is... It is a, uh, an extremely rewarding moment to be able to have a special and unique amount of training, to be able to step into crazy and chaotic situations, to be able to be a person who is able to be uh, used in a rescue scenario or in a medical scenario, and to show up and be able to give sometimes life-supporting, life-saving care in the midst of crisis. Now, when that happens, there are, when people who are in life and death crisis or people who are in a situation where they know they need to be rescued, they respond in a very different way than people who don't think they need to be rescued. Sometimes people are in a situation where they, they are in a, a really bad spot. They just don't know it. But when someone knows that they need help. They need a first responder. They need medical help. They need physical help. Or they're hanging on the edge. There's, they never refuse care. They're not like, you know what? I know you got that cross on your shoulder. And uh, I know that my friend's dying. But we're good. When you show up and people need help, there is an urgency to it. There's a waving. There's a come over here. Oftentimes there's a panic. It usually is not hard to show up on a scene and figure out who it is that is experiencing the emergency. But there's one question I have never, ever asked someone in need. And that question is exactly what Jesus asked this guy Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? As a pastor, I've never shown up in a hospital room with someone who is dying or or gone into a nursing home with a family and I've never asked the question, do you want to be healed? There are just some questions you don't ask. For instance, you never ask a woman who appears to be pregnant, how far along she is. Just never ask unless you've already 
know the answer to that question. You never ask. It's inappropriate. You never ask when you're fishing. You never ask someone, hey, are you having any luck today catching any fish? Because if they are catching fish, they don't want you to come fish where they're catching fish. They know you're going to ask them, well, what are you using? And what's it? You know, you just don't like fishermen don't ask because, you know, they're not going to tell you the truth anyway. No, we aren't catching fish or, you know, whatever. There's certain questions we just know not to ask. When we read this question that Jesus asked this guy, we don't know how long he's been an invalid. We don't know how old he is. All we know is he, uh, he's been by this pool and been an invalid, or we know how long he's been an invalid. We don't know how he's been an invalid. He's been there for 38 years. This guy has been at this pool, not able to get well for 38 years. The condition of his life, like what he's used to, is living in absolute brokenness. He's watching other people go by. And if you have the picture that John gives us, you've got five colonnades, which are rows of pillars holding up this big covered area. The pool named Bethesda literally means the house of mercy is the name. So we've got this huge covered area named the house of mercy with this pool in it. And all around it are people that are, that are hurting and broken. And the somewhat of the urban legend, the belief is that an angel will come and touch the pool and stir it up. And then when the water stirred, the first one into the pool gets healed. Well, if you're an invalid, this is a cruel joke. You can't move. And so as soon as the pool is stirred or you hear the water stirred, what are you going to do? You can't get someone else who can move or someone else can, can their family members can put them in the pool and then they walk away, and they get healed. But Jesus asked this guy this, this question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And this question in itself seems like it is the most cruel and insensitive question that Jesus could possibly ask. But what we're going to do in the next little bit is press deeply into this question in a way that engages the text and then engages your heart to see that this actually is one of the most important questions that we must ask or must answer in terms of how Jesus approaches us in our sin and in our brokenness and in the struggles and pains that we feel like and experience in our life. So verse 3, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, Notice it skips right to verse 5 if you have an ESV Bible or a CSB or uh, maybe your Bible might have the tail end of verse 3 and verse 4. There were later on manuscripts that added into beyond what was in the earlier manuscripts. They added into a later part of verse 3 and verse 4 that was the story of, well, an angel would come and touch the water, and then when the water was stirred, then the first person into it would be healed. That's the last part of verse 3 and verse 4 that's not in your Bible. And because that wasn't in the earlier manuscripts, and it was added in later, 
it shouldn't be considered part of God's holy word and part of the, the canon of scripture. It was extra biblical and added later in. But one thing is clear that we know, even from John, is whether or not that actually happened. It's likely it didn't. But that's what people believed would happen. They thought that this would happen. So verse 5, one man who has been there, an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there, and he asked him, do you want to be healed? When we approach sections of the Bible such as this, especially in a sermon like this where you've not been working your way through the whole story of John and we just take one little part, it's really important that we consider, like scale back for a minute and consider the big context of, and then kind of work our way into this text. Because sometimes it's tempting, and especially in this text, it's tempting to over-psychologize the text. Is that a word? To, to read into it in a way that's like, it's about healing and it's about wholeness. And if you want to be whole and if you want to be healed, you must first acknowledge the question that Jesus asked. You must first have a desire to be healed. And that's not at all what Jesus is getting at. That is not at all what the text is about altogether. So here's the big context. You've got the Gospel of John, which is my favorite of all the Gospels because it's distinct in that it's the most relational. John tells stories about Jesus that are nowhere, that are nowhere else. They're not in any of the other Gospels. And he's basically kind of picking this highlight reel of Jesus' life and ministry, and he's doing it for a very specific purpose. And in fact, in the tail end of John, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he gives us the, the purpose. Here's the overarching reason, the overarching reason. Here's why I'm writing the gospel of John. All these stories that I'm saying, here's why. In order that you would believe in Jesus, the Savior of the world. Or that he's the son of God. This messianic figure. And in so doing that you would have eternal life. So here's the big thrust. This story is a part of this whole list of stories that John is giving about the words and the works of Jesus. For the purpose that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and so that by believing, you would have eternal life. That's John's hope. That's John's whole purpose for writing the book of John. Then you must ask the question, what does it mean to believe? Who is he writing to? Is he writing to believers or to unbelievers? Is he writing to people who have never before put their faith and trust in Jesus? Or is he writing to believers who have already believed that they would grow in their belief, grow deeper in the belief? And so there's been great debate about how to interpret John accurately. Some have said, no, John was written only as an evangelistic tool in order that those who don't yet know Jesus would see and hear about who Jesus is and what he did and they would put their faith and trust in him. And then 
There's a whole other group that's going, no, John was written for Christians who have put their trust in Jesus, that they would grow in their belief, grow deeper in their faith, in order that they would grow more and more into this experience that John calls eternal life with God. And the, the, the correct way to understand this is not an either or, but a both and. So if you're here today and you have not yet put your faith or trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only is this sermon for you, this text is for you, this book is for you. And this question is a question for you to answer. And in the same way, if you are here and you have been walking with Christ for decades, and you find your, the embers of your faith have grown cold or dim, or you are doubting even the claims of Christ, or you, or you have even been doing all that you can to continue to grow in the gospel. No matter where you're at in this journey, John's hope that you would grow into this reality of eternal life is for you. It's that you would believe and then continue to grow in your belief. So that's the big picture of the question. And then there's the kind of immediate narrative that's happening is you got these Jewish leaders that want to kill Jesus because first of all, he started healing people on the Sabbath. And you would think that if someone wants to kill you for doing something that you would probably stop doing that thing. If I offended you in a certain way and you were like, hey, if you continue doing that, I'm going to kill you. I would consider quite seriously the cost of continuing to do my offense against you because some of you would be pretty scary if you told me you were going to kill me, right? Okay, I probably should not keep saying that thing or doing that thing that these people want to kill me about. Jesus in this text goes the opposite. Not only has he been doing miracles on the Sabbath and offending them, now in this text, he claims to be one with God, the Father. And he makes it very clear that if he is not God, that he's committing blasphemy. And so at this point, this text changes the trajectory and solidifies from here on out in John's gospel, the Jews are actively trying to kill Jesus as a result. You got this big picture. You got the Jews, they want to kill Jesus. You've got in our culture, in our day and age, people don't want to necessarily kill Jesus. They just want to ignore Jesus, like push him off to the side. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, we want to hear from Jesus, experience Jesus. But this question from, from our Lord, it must be answered and it must be understood. It says, do you want to be healed? And here's the reality. Most people do not see their need to be healed. Have you ever tried sharing the hope of the gospel 
with someone who thinks that their life is pretty awesome already. It's like, here, I want to tell you about how Jesus saves sinners like you and I from death to life. And they're like, sinners like you, I'm actually a pretty good person. I don't understand why I need to be. I'm already alive. I'm living, in fact, you're the one living in bondage to all these rules that God has. I'm living life to the fullest, making the most of every moment of every day. Why do I need Jesus? I don't see my need to be healed. They don't see how their sin has separated them from a holy God. They don't see how the Bible has calls them dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, apart from God, destined for an eternity without him and experiencing his wrath in hell. And they hear that and they're like, that's, that's cool that you believe that. I don't believe that. And so uh, I don't really need the Jesus that you believe in. So you say, do you want to be healed? And they go, healed from what? But if you walk with that person long enough, there's oftentimes a point where the physical reality of pain and suffering and death softens their heart to the spiritual reality that there must be something bigger. But oftentimes our culture answers the question, do you want to be healed? with a question or with the answer, healed from what? I don't need to be healed. Oftentimes when we ask the question of believers in a church, do you want to be healed? You might answer with, I've already been healed. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. More than that, first of all, I believe that Jesus lived the righteous life I could not live in my place. I believe that he was holy and lived a holy life that I could not live in my place. That Jesus suffered and died on the cross and he, he took upon himself the death that I deserved to die. And Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, and death once for all. And he offers new life to all who trust in him. And I have put my trust in him. Therefore, all of my sin has been put on Christ. And all of Christ's righteousness has been put on me. And I have been forgiven and I've been made new. Amen? You're like, this is what it means. I Do you want to be healed? I've already been healed because Jesus on the cross says it is finished and so then we continue to go through life but then all of a sudden we begin to continue to journey in a broken world and we realize that there are still sin's grip and death's grip there are still areas of our heart and areas of our life we continue to go back to the sin that we still love there are roots of bitterness and unforgiveness that we hold on to, that we struggle to forgive others in the way that Christ has forgiven us. We look back at our, there are certain relationships that remain unreconciled. There's addiction that still is, we're one step away from going back to 
There's temptation around every corner. And when we're in those most vulnerable moments, we know that that's been paid for by the cross. But for some reason, we continue to struggle and sin, continue to turn back to temptation. We continue to harbor bitterness towards one another. We continue to struggle to forgive. And so the question remains for us, do you want to be healed? And the only answer that is appropriate for us to acknowledge is that at a certain depth, while we all say, yes, Jesus, please heal me. There, if you just peel back one or two layers of the heart, we realize that the true answer of our hearts is there are no. We're not actually wanting to be healed. It's likely that this man, he's been sitting at this pool for 38 years. It's likely that he has seen people going by, carrying out their responsibilities, carrying on the normal burdens of life. Does he really want to be healed? It's actually a fair question to ask. It's likely that all of his needs are provided for. It's likely that he's known in the community. It's likely that he lives a pretty comfortable life at this pool of mercy because it's not just a pool of mercy for the miracles that take place. It's a pool of mercy. It's the house of mercy because it's the place that the community rallies around in order to meet the needs of those that are suffering, of those that are hurting. And while everyone else has hurts and pains and struggles that are beneath the surface, his is visible. And that way, because it's out in the open, people are meeting that need. Does he want to be healed? It's actually, from this text, it seems like the answer is actually no. At no point does he acknowledge the kindness of Jesus. At no point does he say, yes, I want to be healed. He only makes excuses. And then at the end of this, he throws Jesus under the bus with the religious leaders. Consider for a moment the grace of God in this story. There is nothing about this man that he does or demonstrates that would cause Jesus to respond to his faith or to respond to his good works or to respond in any way. It is only by the grace of God. Jesus just decides to heal him because Jesus has decided to heal him. The same way in our lives. There's, no, um, there's nothing about cleaning ourselves up first. There's nothing that we do to deserve God's love or deserve his healing or to deserve his grace. And oftentimes we continue to just throw Jesus under the bus, but God in his kindness and his mercy, he decides who he will dispense grace to. And Jesus just decides to heal the guy because that fits into God's bigger plan for what he's doing. Consider for a moment Jesus' grace. Completely undeserved. Here you go. You're healed. Do you want to be healed? The man doesn't even answer the question. He heals him anyway. 
But look with me further down in the text. It is in verse 14. He re-encounters the same guy in the temple. And he says to him, See, you are well. Meaning physically, you've been made well. Jesus says to him, this line, Sin no more, so that nothing worse may happen to you. What do you think Jesus is saying? Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus is implying that his physical condition may have been a result of past sin. Maybe not. But he's pressing into the reality that this man is a sinner. Like every other person that has walked on planet earth aside from Jesus Christ himself. That he's continuing in ongoing unrepentant sin. And he says to him, now now that you've been healed physically, sin no more. Why? So that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus is implying that there is eternal judgment that is coming. There are eternal implications. Not only do you physically need to be healed invalid, this is the spiritual reality that you must be healed through Christ. So So sin no more. Turn from your sin. Turn and follow Jesus. Recognize your need for him. Sin no more unless something worse could happen to you. It's purely by God's grace that he heals this man in order to open his eyes to the spiritual condition that he's in in order that he would turn away from him. This week I was in a counseling appointment with a gentleman who and his wife who is in his late 60s he has struggled with addiction to alcohol his entire life pretty much he confessed to me that there has never been a problem that he has faced that he can remember that he dealt with apart from alcohol and other drugs. He's been going to church most of his life. He's accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He's been baptized as a follower of Jesus. And he is absolutely stuck. Recently, this last year, his son, his adult son passed away. And then... A few weeks ago, as his addiction got worse and worse and worse, his wife left him. And so they're sitting in my office, husband and wife together, and they are trying to figure out how in the world, after a lifetime of struggle with this addiction, Even though we've trusted in Christ, even though I'm a Christian, even though I believe that God God died for my sin and rose from the dead and is coming back again someday, this man is broken, wanting to save his marriage and save his own life. And looks at me and he knows that if things don't change at this point, he is going to die himself. He has to change. Something has to change. 
You know what question I asked him? Do you want to be healed? At some point, we got to a certain level because the recommendation that was going to be made, the things that I was going to say next were going to be so hard to hear. They were going to cost him so much the treatment program that needs to be that he needs to enter into is going to be so hard to fall to break this pattern and establish new habits and to get engaged in a discipleship and get plugged in with the church and to press deeply into the gospel are things that he has never before done. Do you believe that a 67-year-old man with a lifetime addiction to alcohol can be healed? I do. If you believe that a man who's been an invalid for 38 years can be healed by Jesus, he can be healed not only of an addiction, but why is John writing? So that he could have life. He could have eternal life. He could be set free. And all of a sudden, what's, the, what's behind the deeper pain? It's not about alcoholism. It's about broken relationships. It's about forgiveness. It's about experiencing God's forgiveness in his life. And so, do you want to be healed? And he says, yes, absolutely. And then the follow-up question, how badly do you want to be healed? And this question that Jesus asks is, do you want to be healed? And then he comes back to the man and addresses not his physical condition, but the spiritual condition. Go and sin no more, lest something worse continue, lest something worse happen to you. He's saying the trajectory that you are on right now leads to something far worse than laying by a pool as an invalid. All of us must address the fact you and I both must answer this question that Jesus gives us. Do you want to be healed? If you're here today and you are, if you have not ever before responded in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turned from yourself and turned from this world and trusted in him, then this is God's kindness and God's grace to you that you would hear this call with his arms wide open to say, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want this eternal life that Jesus has for you? It is a call to turn. The Bible calls this repentance, turning from one thing and turning back to God, turning to him, trusting in him. If you're here this morning, you are in fact a Christian. This is God's kindness and his pure grace to you to be reminded in order that John's ultimate reason that he's writing that you may believe and so by believing have eternal life. What he's addressing and what Jesus is addressing is that there's areas of your life, there's areas of your heart and there's parts of me and you that we don't yet believe fully in Jesus. We haven't fully submitted that relationship, that sin, that temptation. There are other loves that we find more appealing than Christ's love. 
There are greater affections and things in this world that we, that we love and believe that will ultimately lead to healing or wholeness or happiness and joy apart from Christ. And so the answer to this question, do you want to be healed, is not necessarily reflected in the initial answer, yes, but it is measured in terms of repentance. So the, the follow-up question is, what circumstance, please don't miss this, the whole point, what circumstance or what area of your heart are you still experiencing pain and the brokenness and the guilt and the shame of living in a fallen world? Wherever you turn and you find that place of guilt or shame, there are two responses that can push you away from God and into isolation and just bury it down deep. Or it can push you to him, to Jesus, the healer of your heart and soul. But there are rooms and layers in each of our hearts and lives that we have not yet fully submitted to Christ because we don't fully believe that Jesus Christ can heal or we don't desire him to. We're okay with the level that we're at with God. And Christ's grace to you is beckoning you into a deeper and more full life that John is calling eternal life. Eternal life is not just a quantity of life that you live forever and ever, infinite life with God. Eternal life isn't just quantity. It's a quality. It's a life where you're set free from sin and you're set free to live for God and for Christ. And that is a life of fullness and joy and all those things. That's eternal life. So the measure here is where is their bitterness that you are harboring with others? In what areas of, where, where are you unwilling to reconcile? What areas of secret sin or your signature sin have you minimized and say, yeah, but gossip's not that really big of a deal, you know, or, or you know, this thing's not that big of a deal. God's forgiven me anyway. This is what that question is, deep, is push, pressing into. Do you want to be healed? The measure is not just in the initial answer because we all initially go, yes and amen for those who are in Christ. But we must ask the deeper question. How is that measured in terms of repentance? In what area of your life have you not yet fully submitted to King Jesus? And when you think about that, it may be a question that you need to ask those that are closest to you, that know you best and love you most. Where do you see that I continue to see myself the way that Jesus does? Or where do you see this come out? Oftentimes it, it looks like when we look back and what are the things that trigger our anger, our emotion, or when we shut down, or those kind of things? And we look back and go, those are the areas of our life where we must repent. 
And repentance is not being caught in our sin and being punished for it. Repentance is turning back to God and receiving his forgiveness and receiving his healing afresh to us. The only other alternative in this text, it's turn to Jesus so that lest nothing worse happen to you. There is not a neutral ground. There is a resisting of God's grace or an embracing of God's grace. And so we are either moving deeper into the gospel or we are moving farther from it. One is leading us into a deeper life, eternal life with God. One is leading us into a life of more pain and more suffering and more ultimately a life that leads apart from him in death. Do you want to be healed? The, the answer to the question is shown not in the words that we say, but in the condition of our heart. Humility, repentance, and the, the exhortation and the reminder to you today is that there is nothing that you do that earns God's grace. This is not a do these four points and you'll have a better life type sermon. Those sermons are garbage. This is let Christ embrace that, those hidden areas of your heart and turn to him. Turn and receive God's forgiveness and God's healing. So I'll leave you with this. There is absolutely one lesson from this text. There's absolutely no life there is no person that is beyond the forgiveness and healing of Jesus Christ. There's some that even I'm tempted to give up on. It's like I've been praying for so long and they're so far from God. There is no person beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and there is no sin so great or so often he cannot forgive and there is no hurt so deep that Jesus Christ cannot heal. Turn to him. Those hidden areas of your heart, open that up. Trust in Christ. Believe, as John says, believe and continue to grow in that belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and in so doing, receive eternal life. And the implications pour out of us naturally. The response pours out naturally. Reconciled relationships. Freedom from sin. Eternal life. We're growing together as a church. We're growing on God's mission. God's glorified through you as Christ works in you. Let's pray.